Welcome to Arise Life, a community of believers being equipped, empowered, and released into their destiny. For more information, go to arisealife.org or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. I had something very nice and fluffy for us this morning, and, and the Lord just grabbed my heart about 10 o'clock last night, and, uh, and I was like, really, Lord? Anybody ever experienced the bait and switch with Jesus? He's like, let's walk this way. Well, yeah. Um, anybody notice that the paths with Jesus are never straight? It says he makes straight our paths, but strangely enough, they don't feel straight in the moment, do they? There's a lot of left turns and right turns and whoo. Um, but uh, some of you, I don't know if you uh, participated at all, but we did a series of videos this week um, on prophecy online. And we were talking about it. And part of the reason I was so gripped in is this, is there has been more emphasis on prophecy in the last nine months than in the last 19 years. I mean, since Y2K. <laughs> anyway. And, um, and my heart has been really broken because I've had some conversations with some folks that are saying things like, then what's the point? What's the point of prophecy? Sorry, I, I'm hearing something. I like to be interactive, so I. So if you're talking to me, let, wave a hand. Um, so, um, what's the point of prophecy? What's the point? Anybody here been disappointed by a prophetic word? Only people who get prophetic words get disappointed by them, right? Anybody? <laughs> no, I've never been disappointed. I just don't go there. Um, uh, and part of it, really, what I realized is it goes back to the fact that we have lost the reason for the prophetic. We've lost the grips on what the Bible says prophecy actually is. And if we'll return to what God says the prophetic is, we will be able to continue to walk forward. Because here's the deal. If you are not able to hear God, you cannot follow him. It's fundamental. If you cannot hear God's voice, you cannot follow him. And the prophetic, and in fact, this entire book is actually the result of prophecy. Every single, what is prophecy? It is essentially this, to hear something from God and then share it with others. That's this entire book. So how can we, when we've been disappointed with prophecy, return to this place where we can uh, understand uh, and, and re-engage with hearing God's voice. So um, let me just start. We're going to jump through a bunch of scriptures, and so pray for me. I usually do better when I focus on one scripture. Um, but let's just start right at the end of the book where Paul said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Uh, I'll, I was going to start at 20, but we can start at verse 19. Paul, this is at the end. He says, listen, guys, do not quench the spirit. In other words, don't stop the spirit moving in your life. Who needs the spirit to move in your life? The spirit moving in your life means there's more power, more hope, more uh, energy, more uh, victory than you can do on your own, right? Don't stop the spirit moving in your life. So how do you do that? By not treating prophecies with contempt. W what is contempt? Contempt is where I look down and I go, eh, eh, it's not worth it. It's piddly. Prophecy is here and I treat it like it's here. How does that happen? He said, because we get disappointed, right? 
Again, who here, you, you were really running with prophecy at one point and then something went wrong and you just backed up and took a hiatus? Me? Oh man, I, I took like an eight-year hiatus, told Jesus where he could go. Because um, it was all his fault. You know that, right? Anyway, I found out it wasn't his. <laughs> he says, so, but how, would you, how do you not treat, how do you not get wounded? How do you not get disappointed? How do you not uh, stumble? It says, but test them all. Test all these prophecies and do what? Hold on to good, what's good and reject what is every kind of evil. Now, we talked about this word evil. What does this word evil mean? Striving. Good is the things that originated in the heart of God that are empowered by the heart of God. Evil is... So it's really, really important because your ability to suss out mm, will save you from a lot of mm. <laughs> Now, I, I, did I mention we did kindergarten church? So if you're not, if you're going to stay engaged with Holy Spirit, stay with Holy Spirit. What do you got to do? You can't get derailed with the prophetic. Value God's voice. You got to be able to value God's voice and recognize it. So how are you going to do this? How are you going to keep being able to do that? You're going to do what? You're going to test. Test, and you're going to keep what is good. And what are you going to do with the other? Reject it, right? Chuck it. Does he say analyze it? Does he say uh, get mad at people? Does he say condemn and judge people? No. He just says get rid of it. Now, probably today you will produce something that does not smell good. Do not examine it. Flush it. I don't know what you're thinking about. I'm just saying, the reality is we don't like, mm, what is that? What is that? If it smells, flush it. I like people that are like, I got this word and I don't know. I don't know. Well, tell me, what does the word carry? It carries fear and condemnation and hatred and depression and despair. Then flush it. But maybe it's God. God knows your address. He knows you. He's a good father. If my daughter can't hear my voice. What do I do? Yell I yell louder. And me being evil. <laughs> right? So the thing is, this is really good, but what is the essence of goodness? The essence of goodness is that a word functions the way it's designed. Right? Anybody here use something God gave you in a way that God never intended? <laughs> that is not good. It started good, it did not end good, right? Why? Because it came, became an act of striving. So how can we know what is the function of prophetic? I'm so glad you asked. Do you know we only have really one definition of prophecy in the scripture? It's 1 Corinthians 14.3, which says, if I put these in order, but the one who prophesies does what? He speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging and comforting and condemning and judging 
No, sorry, missed that part. So it's to strengthen, encourage, and comfort. I'm going to be real with you. For most of my life, that's not what I thought prophecy was. What did I, uh, let's just be real. What do, we, what do people normally think prophecy is? Predicting the future. Thus said the Lord, right? So speaking 100% the words of God, right? Like just being a marionette for Jesus. And the other piece is predicting the future. Do you know how much of this book predicts the future? Every word, but not the way people want it. Because when we say predict the future, we talk, Lord Jesus, please grant unto your servant the understanding of the knowledge of lottery numbers for this Friday, in Jesus' name. Right? We want, when we say prediction, what do we mean? <laughs> right? We want, we think Google level, right? We want facts, figures, we want the deal, right? Right? Is that how this book predicts? There, the, mo, the main prediction in this book is this. We find it in Deuteronomy 29. You don't need to turn there. It's basically this. God's saying to the people he's brought out of Egypt, out of Israel, out of Egypt, and he says, I'm bringing you to a land of promise. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be wonderful. Except one little thing. If you are a dingbat and you choose to take the gift that I am giving you and try to use it for yourself rather than walk with me with it, it will kill you and you will be kicked out of the land and spread to all the nations. That's the first prediction. This was given in about 1400 BC. And then it, but, but he follows it up because you need to understand something. The prophetic is to do what? Strengthen, encourage, and comfort. Give you courage. He said, but if that should happen, I will bring you back. You did stupid and got yourself kicked out, but I will bring you back. I will bring you back. If you do not get to the point of understanding restoration and hope in the word, you haven't listened long enough. This is, we see this in Daniel. Daniel has this vision. He sees one horrible thing after another. He's like, ah! And he sees these beasts coming out of the sea. And he's like, but I kept looking. Until what? I saw one like the Son of Man descending in authority and power. If you, all you see is bad, keep looking till you see Jesus. Don't stop till you see Jesus. And so what does he do? So he says, if you, I'm giving you every good thing, and if you're going to use it for bad, it's going to hurt. Anybody? Anybody tried that in your life? You took the gift of God and used it for something else, and it, and it hurt? Was that God being mean to you? No. Listen. Listen. If your car says diesel only, and you choose to put unleaded gas in it, what's going to happen? Bad things are going to happen to good people. God is judging my engine. No, you used it not the way it was designed. When we go against the design that God has, God's not striking us. It's just gravity. It's the way it works. And so what happens, he said, if you choose to try, God gives us destiny that he never intends for us to be able to do on our own. 
Who here, when you heard a word from God about your destiny, got a little freaked out? Because it was way more than you could ever do on your own. And God's like, no, duh. <laughs> True, Sherlock. Yeah, that's the point. You and me, baby, we got to do this together, right? We've got this. And so God shows you what's going to come. But if you try to do it on your own, it will kill you. So what happens is, that's the prophecy is in 1400 BC. Now, how quickly did the Israelites get stupid? About two seconds after this, right? And then they were stupid, and then they were stupid, and then they had a good moment, then they were stupid, and then they were stupid, and then they were a good moment, and mostly stupid, right? 900 years later, (laughs) the prophecy comes true. 900 years. What? 900. This is the most fun. Isaiah repeats it. It, All the prophets repeat it. This is the prophecy of Scripture. But God brings them back. But at the heart of this, if you guys got books, they're called Bibles. I recommend them. Turn to Jeremiah chapter. Okay. (laughs) Uh, Jeremiah chapter 29. So he has, he has prophesied. Jer- Jeremiah in 25 said, listen guys, the king of Babylon is coming for y'all. Why is the king of Babylon coming for them? Because they invited him. Anybody have some invited guests in your life that you'd like to get rid of? <laughs> They're like coming. He's like, and, and it says, God says, I will send the king of Babylon. But they were the ones inviting the king of Babylon in the first place. So, you know. The, wor- the worst judgment of all is God lets us have what we've chosen. Yep. And he's been trying for 900 years, trying to keep them from getting what they chose. Anybody been that? You're like, no, I'm gonna, I'm gonna. I remember I had situations where I, I decided, you know what, I'm gonna sin today. It's a good day for sinning. <laughs> and then I overslept. I was like, oh my gosh, now I'm going to have to break some laws and speed to be able to sin. Okay, I'm up for that. (laughs) God was going out of his way to prevent them from getting what they chose, but they chose and chose and chose. And so what happens is he said, but listen, the guy's going to come and for 70 years, there's going to be desolation. He says, you're going to be taken into the land. He said, so listen what happens. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 4. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses, settle down, plant gardens, and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I carried you into. In in other words, the very kingdom that brought all this horrible stuff on them. Oh, that's probably a typo. Pray to the Lord for it, because it, if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord the Almighty says. Now, this is the part I love, right? Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. Anybody gotten those kind of words? Lord, I just feel like you want to give me a million dollars. 
Yes, Lord, I sense that. I, I feel the witness right there. Million dollars, right, 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 right there. Oh, look, there's a bank. I feel he's leading me to rob in Jesus' name. <laughs> Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not said them. What are the lies? The lies are that you're going to come back quick. God says, no, I'm sending you for 70 years. Oh, because you're a media and you hate me. He says, no, so you may prosper. Because the land where they were taken out of has been laid waste. But you will prosper in this land. And he says, dedicate, live these 70 years. Give yourself to this, you know, increase, increase, increase. Increase. God, why? God's heart for us is always for our good. So what does he do? Here's this horrible situation they chose, and he's saying, I'm for their good. I'm for their good. And so what, what are they doing? They're, they're committing to this. They go through this. And then it's really fascinating. In Daniel chapter 9, Daniel wakes up, and he goes, I realized it had been 70 years. Now, how many of those 70 years did Daniel have the prophecy from Jeremiah? For 70 years. Only realized it, in the 70th year. Let me put it another way. How many pro do you guys know how many prophecies there are about Jesus coming as the Messiah? With all the detail? Like over 400. The, the Pharisees had most of these. Did the Pharisees recognize Jesus? He said, you study the scriptures because in them you think you have life. But here I am in front of me, you, and you don't even recognize me. This is the fundamental part about prophecy. Prophecy is not to predict the future so that you can figure out some sort of way to navigate it, get your lottery numbers, know what, uh, what uh, business to invest in, all the, you know, where to make money in Google, go in a time machine, go back to 1992 and buy Apple. Not that. That's not the point. The point is so that in the moment, your eyes will be open to reveal the presence of God in your and you will be able to partner with him and not be discouraged, but rather continue on. The Pharisees were looking for Jesus. They were like trying to put, they had, I'm sure they had like, somebody had like one of those, um, have you seen those, like the crime shows where they have all the evidence? And they're like, and they have the pieces. And I can see them. They're like, okay, I've got him coming from Bethlehem. Well, I've got him coming from Nazareth. Oh, no. And, you know, they're trying to put together this mosaic of what, the, of what uh, the Messiah looks like at the end. It's like some sort of creepy creature. The reality is that's not the point of prophecy. The point of prophecy is so that we'll trust him. Let me show it a little bit differently. In my experience, and as I see scripture, this is generally how prophecy works. God says, he shows you the promise on a hillside far, far away. There's my little castle. The promise, yay, right? He shows you the promise. And, and then the problem is, where are you? Over here. <laughs> you are here. <laughs> right? right next to the white courtesy phone. There you are. You're standing here. And you go, ah, and the angels are singing, and you are full of hope and courage, right? You see the promise. And he says, come, let us go up to the mountain. Yay! Unfortunately, from where you stand on this nice little hilltop, 
There is a little path that goes down, 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 and only then up to the promise. And in between, there is fog. <laughs> and in fact, this is not a straight path. <laughs> in fact, the path goes in here and comes out of the fog there. Do you know what I'm talking about? Anybody know what I'm talking about? The path goes in here, into the fog, into the place of unknowing, and only comes out up here. And so what do we do? We draw a dotted line from point A to point B, don't we? This must be the path. This must be the path. I'll just draw a straight line from where I am to the promise, and it probably will take me three days max. I'm the only one, right? Okay, just don't leave me alone. So what happens is, in this fog, there are many twists and turns. What happens is, the very first thing he says, he says, I show you the promise. I show you who I am. I show you my goodness. I show you my love. I show you the call of, I've made, what, destiny for which I've made you. I show you all these things so that for the joy set before you, you're willing to go through the process that transforms you to receive the promise. Anybody here? Um, any, where, any, any of you guys, then when you were like 13 or 14, were pretty confident that if you got your hands on a Lamborghini, you could do some damage? <laughs> no, dude, you know how I am, man. I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. I know what to do with 12 gears. <laughs> right? No, but the thing is, is, is when we first... When you first see the promise, there is a confidence that arises in you. It's a godly confidence. This is what I'm made for. This is who I'm called to be. Woohoo! <laughs> and God says, Great, now take a step down into the fog. Ah, okay. I love the scripture says, Your word is a lamp unto my feet. Anybody seen one of those, uh, dust, those oil burning lamps? They are weak. They're like three watt. You're like, it's a lamp to my feet. Not anything for my head, just my feet. Anybody found that usually God only leads you one step at a time? Feels like a rumba. He leads us one step at a time. And he's leading us through to transform us to receive the promise. I will say this is when you hear a prophetic word that is overly clear, it may not be Jesus. Here's why. Because God, when he speaks in, in the Old Testament, let me put it this way. In the Old Testament, the prophet spoke to the people. Why? Because they couldn't hear for themselves. But do you know that was not God's intent? If you guys remember, in Exodus 20, God was hanging out with Moses on the mountain. He said, this is awesome, but now it's time. Bring the people up. And what did the people say? <laughs> you know what, God? Whoa, 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 whoa. Moses, how, we're scared of him. Why don't you talk to God for us? God's goal was always that everyone hear God's voice. But so the people in their brokenness and sin wanted a prophet who would be a mediator between God and man. He would hear from God and give it to them. 
Now I have a question. Jesus has come. Do we have a mediator between God and man? Who is it? Jesus. Do we need that kind of prophet anymore? No. No and no. And if you want one, you're going to get something other than what God offered you. I'm being real serious because I've watched so many people get shipwrecked by handing over their own ability to hear God to somebody else. You, Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. I know it's scary to hear God's voice for yourself. I know it's risky. I know it's more comfortable to give that over to somebody else. But that's not what Jesus died for. Jesus died that you would have your own ability to hear God and walk it out. So what in the world is the function of the prophet in the New Testament? To help people hear God for themselves. To jumpstart their own conversation with Jesus. So that's why the prophetic is not meant to be the whole cat's meow. It's not meant to be the whole picture. Generally, a prophetic word has three parts. The first is the actual encounter, the actual experience. The second part is what it means. And the third part is what now should I do? You want to know when I've screwed up the most in the prophetic? When I've done all three. (laughs) Don't worry. You don't need to hear God for yourself. I've got it covered. I have found that nine times out of ten, what God will do is God will give a part and then he'll let the other person rise up to hear the rest for themselves. And I think we talked about, when we talked about hearing God's voice, right, that he equates us to sheep. Did I say that word correct? Yes, you did. Yes. (laughs) I saw three sheep yes. ascending. No, no, a different kind of sheep. Um, and they are very much a herd animal, right? Ah. They, don't, they don't, it's like you never have one lambkin by themselves, right? If they are, it's a problem, right? Yeah. What, is the, what does the shepherd do when one sheep's off by himself? Ah. Oh, got it. So it's super important to hear God's voice in a body without the lambkins giving their ba about your ward. <laughs> I think God's called me to marry her. She's already bah. married. Oh. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. That's hey, a good point. That's a bad word. <laughs> that's bad religion. All right. Um, so, yeah. So, I feel like that's, that's where the man of power for the hour of just one person standing up and declaring over... Everybody is probably not New Testament. He's so smart. (laughs) He knows all the answers. A great example is Acts 11. Mm -hmm. You got a guy by the name of Agabus. That's already a problem, but anyway. (laughs) Um, Agabus got on the bus, and Agabus (laughs) predicted a famine in Jerusalem. But listen, he got the word, but the body got together and got the application. And they decided that means we, instead of running in fear, there's hope. We're going to gather up a offering to send it to Jerusalem. That's violent. They were going to be in the famine themselves, but they chose we're going to help somebody else out. They took a violent prophetic act against fear, right? So Agabus is like, I am the prophet, right? And so we see Agabus just one more time. Paul is on his way to Jerusalem. What's he on the way to do? it's, It's rolling in like the OK Corral. He's rolling into the temple, already throwing down gang signs. He's ready for business. And he knows it's not going to end well for him, right? He knows that he is going to be probably die, suffer and die. 
And Agabus comes down to meet him there at Caesarea, there at the port, and he goes, oh, and he does this whole really exotic prophetic act with binding, taking Paul's belt and binding, you know, and I'm sure he had some music going in the background. And, um, you know, just to make it really powerful. And he says, this is how the Jews will bind you and hand you over to the Romans. Thus said the Lord, pretty much. And what does Paul say? Oh, you're the prophet. Must be true. Does Paul say that? No. Paul goes, dude, what's your problem? Because the word is heard by those around him. They start weeping. They were saying, oh, it's Agabus the Great. The prophet Agabus. He had the business cards. He passed them out ahead of time. The prophet Agabus. Oh, oh. Paul's like, oh my gosh. He was talking to me, not to you. Shut up. Listen, I know the call of God on my life. He's told me I'm going to go. He's told me what I'll suffer. You assume that's a bad thing. But I declare this is going to cause the gospel to go to the nations. And in fact, he ends up preaching in Caesar's court as a result. He's like, guys, this is my promotion. Get out of my way. (laughs) Agabus. But here's the best part. Agabus even heard wrong. Remember what he said? He said, you will be bound by the Jews and handed over to the Romans. Guess what? He was bound by the Romans and handed over to the Jews. (laughs) (laughs) Test what is good. Test what is evil and striving and reject it and move on. Don't stumble. And we have evidence that Paul didn't stumble. Mm-hmm. He kept on going. One way we don't stumble is we forgive the people. Yeah. We're like, Agabus, that's a good try. Good try. Good try. It's okay. We all miss it. You go on. But it takes the body to discern, right? And um, I absolutely love this, uh, this one ministry in California uh, with Dan McCollum. Um, they do a lot of stuff finding um, missing persons. Yeah, missing kids. And what they do is they have a, a team of about 400 people of who get words, write them down, and then they hash out the words. Well, they see which words connect, and they sip them down to, like through cycles and cycles. So they right start with they groups of like 12. They start with like groups of 12, and they listen. And if, I think they have to have at least 40% of the people in their group get the exact same word mm-hmm. before they pass it on. And they pass it on. They only talk to the FBI when they've reached going through all these layers of listening to the body. Mm -hmm. The result, though, is they have great, amazing success in finding kids. The FBI uses them on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. It's really powerful. But you don't get to that level by by not testing the word. Mm -hmm. And by doing it by yourself, right? Psychics operate by themselves. We operate as a body. Psychics also give you that specific information that, that we all long for. But one of the biggest ways you'll know the fruit, you'll know the thing by the fruit. What are the fruit of the Spirit? If you don't know, I would look it up. It's Galatians 5, chapter 20, uh, 5 verse 22 and 23. Listen, guys, this has got to be a tattoo on our arms, on our forehead, on the inside of our eyelids. If it doesn't bring love, if it doesn't bring peace, if it doesn't bring joy, you have 100% permission and reason to doubt it. 
you're like, but, but, but. The people with Agabus heard the word of the Lord about the famine. It didn't bring fear. It brought power. This is the fundamental difference. You, if, and you're like, well, what if it is the word of the Lord? He's a, he's a loving father. If you can't hear it this way, he'll find another way if you're listening. You, he's a good, loving father. But I've got to say it again. The whole point of the prophetic is not to give us answers to avoid pain or to protect ourselves. He who attempts to save his life will lose it. What is the point? The point is so that we will trust God and surrender to his promises and his goodness and his love enough to descend into the unknowing, into the fog, not knowing what will happen, but trusting that he is good. I'll give you an example from my life. Uh, Friday night, we're in the middle of a refi on our house. And uh, I don't know about you, but I'm not handy and nor, nor am I financially savvy. And or legally savvy. So I'm like, this is the fog. This is, anybody know what I'm talking about? You like head and you're like, ah! <laughs> there be Kraken or wolves or something there. I don't know, but it's terrifying. So I'm like, every step of the way, I'm like, Jesus, is this a good idea? I mean, they say it's a good idea. I don't know. Ah! You know, what does it say? You and your children will be bound to this for all perpetuity. What? No, I, I mean, it, it's a fog to me. So every step of the way, I'm like, Jesus. And so we came up to the point we had to pay a, uh, a large sum of money for a appraisal on our house. And when we started this, they said, how much is your house worth? Well, I don't know. I don't do this for a living, right? Like, I mean, we've done a bunch of things to our house, so it's changed in value, and the things have gone up. The mar- I don't know. Cobb thinks it's this. I don't know. So I gave them a number based upon what Cobb had, by walking around the outside of my house, had determined <laughs> We look at your house and we think we want that amount of tax out of you. Anyway, and, uh, and in uh, Friday evening, late, an email comes through the copy of your appraisal. Now, it came through from the lending agent. They didn't include any information like, yay, this is good, this is bad, you're in trouble, everything's out to lunch, you're, gonna, you're out 500 bucks or whatever. Nothing. Just like, you should look at this. <laughs> like, and I was like, Jesus! And it's 10 o'clock at night. And Jesus says, I wouldn't open it. So it's bad. Oh, so it's bad. We're all going to die. <laughs> right? Anybody, anybody, you immediately, you draw a dotted line all the way to hell, like in 43 easy steps. Nobody? Okay. Anyway, in this moment, I'm like, ah, I'm freaking out. And Jesus says, no, I didn't say that. Well, you kind of did. <laughs> he said, Peter, if it's good and you open it, you won't be trusting me. You'll be trusting the appraisal. So you're saying it's good? I didn't say that. <laughs> but if it's bad, I still am good. And I've led you this far and I won't leave you yet. And I need you to trust me that regardless of the outcome, I am for you and I'm guiding you and I will lead you. And even if you've made mistakes, I will help you correct them. So you're saying it's good? (laughs) To which he said, go to bed. 
Now, I'm not going to lie to you, and we talk about this. God lo- loves the feeble yes more than anything else. I was talking to a friend this week, and, and he said, and I was like, wow, I'm so proud of you did this incredibly hard thing. He's like, if you knew how close I was to doing the exact wrong thing, you wouldn't be proud of me. I said, no, that's actually where I'm proud of you. You know when you go to the gym, they don't go, they don't, you know, you jump in, I did 3,000 reps of two ounces. <laughs> There's no value in that, right? The value is in, I did 10 reps of three times my body weight when I was 12. <laughs> no, what, what is it? The value is in the hardest thing you do. We say, but I, I was so close to being an idiot. In fact, I was an idiot in my own mind right up to the moment when I did the right thing. God's like, yes, that's my boy. That's my girl. Woo! And so I, I literally, you don't know, I finally, I think Jesus knocked me out with a baseball bat. <laughs> Because I was still thinking, hmm, there's that phone. I think I'll look. And he's like, you can't handle it. Anyway, I get up the next morning. I'm like, okay. And he goes, no. I'm like, okay. And he said, Peter, you're getting to trust me. Once you open this, you won't have to trust me in this ever again. I was like, this is a great opportunity to grow in trust. Okay, I'm doing this. Remember what we said? Faith is what? Trust. It's a relational value. It's not, I have faith. It's, it's trust. And so in that moment, I said, okay, okay. Finally, about 11 o'clock, he said, okay, you can open it. I'm like, ah, do I want to open it? <laughs> and so I went in there and I opened it. And it for, was for $25,000 more than what I had estimated. Hallelujah, Jesus, I love you so much. You're amazing. And Jesus goes, oh, who cares about the 25? You trusted me. See, trust is only built in the fog. And trust is what he's after. Because he's after yours and my heart. We're after information so we don't have to trust. He's after our hearts, which requires trust. Listen, I can't say it enough. I can't say it enough. God is purifying the prophetic in this hour, and it is awesome. It is awesome. I'll finally say this is if you have screwed up in the prophetic, which I have way more than any of y'all, I'm a professional, don't try this at home. This is... How did you find out that you screwed up though? Because you went and checked with them, right? (laughs) If your words came to pass. Well, and I've said this one before. Well, this was... this. Okay, I'll give the bad one and then I'll give the good one because that makes me sound better. The bad one was I had a friend, a friend of ours in Ukraine. Uh, This was, I think... 2007. And uh, she was a wonderful girl. One of those you're like, I can't understand why she's not married. Uh, probably because she has standards, but whatever. Um, anyway, and, uh, and we were like, oh, and I, just, and I just really felt strongly that God wanted her, that God was going to see her married in that year. So I told her that. By the way, don't do this. We call it dates, mates, and babies. Don't do it. Not a good idea. Anyway, so about a year passed, and we were going to where she lived, and I was like, oh, I haven't seen anything on Facebook. <laughs> I'm kind of fairly confident nothing's happened. And I was like, hi, Mila. Mila's very alone at this point. I was like, Mila, I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry. Um, I messed up, and I'm really sorry that I hurt you with that. 
And uh, I did it because I loved you, but I, I screwed up, and I'm really sorry. And do you know what? Her estimation of me went down. Shocking, but it was already down. <laughs> but it maybe have gone up just a little bit. And over time, we repaired the relationship. And she got married this year. So my word was right! <laughs> okay, I was off by 13 years, but what else? <laughs> the thing is, is um, there's two big ways we get prophetic words wrong. One is desire and the other is fear. Desire, right? I wanted her married. She wanted to get married. The two of us were in agreement. If two people are in agreement with anything, then it's the will of God. And And the other is fear. And so I've learned for myself, if fear or desire involved, I need to doubt it completely. And I've said this before. We were starting out with a rise uh, over at Riverstone. Every time I'd be like, Lord, how many people are coming? I just want to prepare my heart and not get my hopes up. And whatever I got was 100% wrong. If I thought a lot, it would be a little. If I thought a little, it would be a lot. I got it to the point where I literally, I would hear something and just flip it 180 degrees and I'd be right. I mean, is that pathetic? Why? Because I had desire, right? I wanted people to come and I had fear. I was afraid they wouldn't. That's That's a bad thing. I will tell you this. I'm going to be real with you. The day after the election, I woke up with this in my head, Trump won. And do you know why I hadn't said it till this moment? Because I had a lot of desire and I had a lot of fear. And I've been dumb way more than y'all. Way more than y'all. And I've just learned, even though I felt really confident, I kept my mouth shut. And, um, because you were emotionally invested. Because I was emotionally invested. That's, that's absolutely it. So let me give you another good example where I look better, because I want to end there. Um, <laughs> is this my good side? Um, uh, I, I've shared this. If you've been with us for a while, you've probably heard this. But um, I was early on uh, in the prophetic, maybe a couple years in, and I was becoming pretty awesome. I don't like to brag, but I was amazing. And uh, I mean, I was getting so many things right. I mean, I could tell you about your hair color yesterday and who knows what. I mean, just a lot of detail in people's lives. And, uh, and the Lord whispered to me something. This was about May. And I, uh, he whispered something. And he said, Peter, you know, a lot of the things you're getting, they're not me. They're witchcraft. And I was like, ah! I need to change my underwear. Um, I, I mean, no. I mean, these are not what you want to hear from God. This is not, oh, what a wonderful word from the Lord. I feel so edified. I was like, what? And he simply said this, accuracy is not a fruit of the Spirit. Wow. I was like, <laughs> That was the whole fundamental, that was my whole foundation. <laughs> if I'm right, I'm right. Who's going to argue, right? Oftentimes you can get a right word of knowledge from a wrong source. It, see, fi- psychics value accuracy. And where, where do psychics get their information? It's available. It's in the atmosphere. It's from the enemy, whatever. But the reality is God doesn't value accuracy. He values love. And so oftentimes you can get an accurate word of knowledge from a wrong source and use it to prop up a word that never came from God. Anybody here felt forced to receive a word because it came with an accurate word of knowledge, but the word didn't carry the fruit of the Spirit? If that happened, I need you to do something right now. Flush and forgive and repeat. Flush, forgive, repeat. This is really important because otherwise, sometimes we feel forced to receive words. So I'm freaking out. I kept my mouth shut almost completely in the prophetic for the next six or seven months. I was like, oh. 
because I had just finished prophesying hardcore over three churches. And I was freaked out of my mind. I was like, January 1st of that year, maybe 2008, 2009, probably 2008, because Mila fell into that whole area. Poor thing. Anyway, um, she, uh, uh, the Lord said to me, he said, Peter, I need you to call around to those three churches and check the words you gave. Uh, no, 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 no. One of them was Riverstone, because I had really prophesied a bunch of things over Riverstone with Mark Nicewander. One was a church in Wales. Another was the largest uh, Russian-led church in Russia. And I was like, the last one, the Russian church in Russia, I had prophesied for like up to six hours straight over the leadership team. I would not like shut up. Like things what not to do, right? It was, there was so much detail. There was so much direction. I was so terrified. I was like, I, when I was doing it, I was terrified. I was like, this stuff can't all be true. I'm like, that's where I'm like, oh, shut up, shut up, shut up. <laughs> But I wouldn't stop. Anyway, that's another issue. I, um, so I decided, you know what, I'm going to do it. I'm gonna, I just, I'll just call Mark Nicewander because he's so nice. If you know he Mark Nicewander. So nice. I mean, you know, he can tell you, you, you know, you've crucified Jesus. And you'd be like, really? Oh, thank you. I mean, he's just a wonderful person that way. Anyway, and so I said, Mark, I said, ah, I hate to ask you, but I gave you kinds of words. And can you tell me if any of them may have has possibly on the outside chance sort of maybe possibly come to pass? He said, actually, all of them have manifested already. I was like, really? Oh, wow. Huh? What happened to my faith? Next was, I decided the whales, because that guy is equally nice. Nick is just a dream. He's a lovely, wonderful human being. I mean, he's a botanist by trade. I mean, you, he, I mean, this is an amazing guy. Anyway, so I was like, Nick, Nick, I was like, Nick, can you help? And he goes, actually, Peter, everything you say came to pass. I'm like, oh, I think we'll stop Instead, that's called Kazan. That's not called Kazan, yeah, in, in Russia. So finally, I called him up. And I called up Roma, and I was like, Roma, he's like, Peter, guess what? I said, I, oh, I said uh, Roma, I hate to ask you this, but I gave a bunch of prophetic words when I was with you, and I was wondering if any of them came to pass. He goes, Peter, it's really fascinating you call today, because every New Year's Day, we gather as a whole church and publicly weigh all the words that have been given in that year to see if they come to pass. And I'm like... I will bear my back to the smiters. I was like, oh, no. And then he pauses. Don't pause at that moment. If that's you, don't ever pause at that moment. Keep the truck moving. And so I was like, um, so did any of them at all, maybe? He said, actually, the crazy thing is they've all come to pass in seven months. And I was like, are you kidding me? Like, I didn't have faith for that. I, I mean, I kind of pumped him for a while because I was like, you're just being nice. But seriously, what do you think happened to my faith at that point? It went up. But do you know what happened in the seven months in between? The Lord purified my heart. He purified my motivation in prophecy. My motivation was not in being the superstar, but in being a lover, a person you know, the most powerful prophetic words I've ever given are when I'm so enraptured with the person in yeah, front of on. me because I see them the way God does. You know you are hearing God's heart when you fall in love with the yeah, person in front it. of you because he's love. There's not a person he doesn't love. 
What I want to say to you is I don't care what, where you are in the world of everything today. God wants to re-engage your heart to hear him for yourself. But that's going to take a purification in all of us. Because we all hear it wrong at times. We're either perverted by our fear, our desire, perverted by our past, by our pain, by our desire for someone else to hear instead of me. But if we will take all the rubble of our prophetic experience, our experiences in trying to hear God's voice and lay them at the feet of Jesus, say, Jesus, what do you say? In due season, he'll speak over them. I will say, the places where you have the biggest problem, like, what happened? Probably is going to take a while for you to be able to hear. It took me eight years on one of my things. To even start hearing. To so start right? hearing, because it was all God's fault. Not really. It turned out to be my fault, but that's another story. But if we will do the work, God will, we will come out of this season stronger and better to go through the valley of fog and learn to trust and grow into the place where we can receive from God the promise, not to take it by our own efforts. But for us to do that, I want to say this finally. That what did he say to the people in exile? I want to just say something about our culture right now. Whether you're blue or red or indigo violet, this nation right now is in exile. You, how do I know that? Look at the fruit. Look at the fruit of division, the fruit of hatred, the fruit of abuse, the, the fruit of immorality in, our, in our, church, about our nation at large. We are in a form of exile right now. And what does he say to people in exile? He says, go, build homes, focus on your family, grow up your businesses, grow up your vineyards, grow up and pray for that city that it may prosper. Do not curse it. Do not curse the government. Don't curse the, the party you don't like. Because curse means to partner with the devil. But bless comes from God. And so we will bless and not curse. And we will live and thrive until such time as God can return us out of the fog to whatever the promise has been. All right. Woo. All right. All right. Okay. So if we can stand, if the worship team can come up, I want to do this right now. During this worship song, we all have what I'll say is prophetic rubble. We all have areas, I call them bald spots on our heart, where we are unable to hear God's voice because of pain and disappointment. Whatever that is, I would just ask you right now to imagine it in your hands. Maybe it's a rock. I don't know what it is. Imagine it in your hands. Jesus is standing in before you and say, Jesus, can I trust you with this? Jesus, I give you my disappointment. I give you my wounds. I give you my frustrations. I give you my confusion. I give you my shame. I give you where I've missed it. And I ask you, God, to speak a better word. Lord, if there's things you want to show me about them, if there's things you want me to do to clean up the mess, if there's th ways that you want me to walk forward, but I want to walk forward with you step by step. I believe your promises are true. I believe what you showed me is true in the end, 
So I want to walk through with you. I want to walk through with you. I want to grow in trust with you. We love you, Lord. Amen.